0: Thank you, and welcome back for our Q and A time. First question it says, "What is the best way to share the Three Angels' messages with somebody secular?" So I, I have to start with their mindset. What is their understanding of if they don't have a value of scripture, if they don't believe in the Bible, if they're not uh, if they're not Christian at all? I wouldn't start with the Three Angels' messages. They're not going to uh, resonate with that. It's going to be like um, like somebody sharing with you something out of the Book of Mormon, or somebody sharing with you uh, something out of the Apocrypha. Uh, or the, or, or Quran, you might go, well, that's interesting, but you're not going to give any value at all. So if they're secular, then you have to actually have them first question in a larger reality, you know, whether something beyond the secular or humanistic worldview. And I can start with the, uh, with the design laws of God, the principles of how they work, law of liberty, law of love, law of exertion, law of worship, and how these laws work, and, and, and say, where do they come from, or some other aspect of what's going on in them. So getting to know the person and seeing where they're having struggles and where they already have Cognitive dissonance because their worldview doesn't work, and then you can uh, approach them and try to bring them a, a larger reality. Um, under design law, I understand that if you steal, murder, cheat, but never get caught, you still suffer the consequence of transgression of the law: uh, guilt, shame, and damaged character. That is correct. So you, the, the problem is what it does to you: hardens your heart, warps your character, corrupts you. That's correct. Uh, do you think? Initially, the early Australian Adventist Christians had a better understanding of righteous by faith since Ellen White was shipped there. And do you think Satan worked extra hard to prevent that change? Well, I have no idea. I have no information at all on what the early Australian Adventists thought, believed, or taught. I only know what Ellen White. Uh, I have not read any early Adventists uh, from Australia's writings to know. Uh, I will say, though, that they would have, uh, to the degree that anyone has access to greater revelations of truth. It gives them greater opportunity to respond to that truth than those who haven't heard it yet. I don't know that if her if her writings were restricted, uh, if uh, people um, who were able to sit down and talk with her had an advantage or not. It, it's, it, these are all questions I don't know. I will say, though, that whenever a new truth, whenever the Holy Spirit is advancing the light, Satan is definitely working harder to prevent people from accepting it, so there's no question about that. Would you please explain Acts 15.10... Um, basically, uh, the context here is Peter is talking, uh, in which, um, the, uh, some of the Jewish Christians are wanting to put on the Gentile Christians a bunch of Jewish, um, ceremonies and rituals and requirements. And, um, Peter makes the point, why would you want to do this to them when none of us could even bear up under that, that system? And so what, what does it mean that no one could bear under the system? What it means is that no one can keep the law and bear up under systems of works. You can't do it. It crushes you down. And the more you try to to um, uh, resolve the sin problem through a series of legislations, laws, rules, uh, behavior control, you only end up with more discouragement, oppression, um, control, exploitation. You, you can't change the heart that way. Nobody can bear up under it. So that's, that's what he's talking about. And I will say this um, along this line, same principle. I'll just pop it in here. Um, John Adams, second president of the United States, uh, one of the co-authors of the Declaration of Independence, um, said that the form of government that they formed in the United States with our uh, Constitutional Republic and the principles outlined in the Bill of Rights are only fit for a religious and moral people. It says wholly unfit for any other people. And that's because the system that the United States founders put in place was a system that was designed in a sinful, earthly world to give the citizens the greatest amount of liberty and freedom possible. That's what the system was for. And great liberty is only possible for people who have what the, Holy, what the Bible calls self-control, the last fruit of the Spirit. They have self-governance. They won't hurt and exploit other people. They have a moral standard that they will govern themselves by. If we have another people that don't have self control, that uh, in fact identify with the principles of the world, uh, exploitation, strong survived, etc., uh, um, etc., et then the only w- what will happen in a with more freedom is that you get more of the strong taking advantage of the weak, exploiting and so forth and so on, and society begins to decay and corrupt. And what happens in order to give some semblance of, of order is that you get more external control, like you have in China and North Korea. And that's what's happening in our world right today. The reason there's a lot of chaos happening is because people who are very selfish, notice what? Notice the progression. The last hundred years or so, we have really thrown the belief in God and a moral standard out of our society. It's not taught in schools. Uh, people don't attend church. Uh, well less than 50% of the population uh, are active in any religious organization anymore. Uh, we become very secular, and society is decaying. And there's a scream and a call for more law, more government, more control, uh, in order to make us all feel safe. Okay, It is an absolute uh, decay, but that that's actually what's happening. It, all right, I had heard, uh, I had a hard time I had a hard time seeing this text, uh, this is a reference, I think it's an Ellen White quote, uh, in the right lens, it sounded too legalistic for my taste, could you please enlighten me? Okay, and here's the quote, it says, Had not Jacob previously repented of his sin and obtaining the birthright by fraud, God could not have heard his prayer and mercifully preserved his life. Pause right there before I go on. What this is saying is simply, uh, what does it mean to repent from sin? Is it simply, I confess I did something wrong? No, it's a, I'm, I don't want to be a thief anymore. I don't want to be a, a deceiver. I don't want to cheat people. I want a heart that's honest. In other words, he repented from the selfishness and fear that caused him to do that, and he had already been changed. If he had gone to God, hey, I don't like the consequences, I don't like, I got in trouble, I got put in jail, I got fined $100,000, I, I don't, but I love cheating people, and I love taking advantage of people. I still want to do that. Uh, so will you get me out of hawk, God? I think God can't do anything for him. That's what it means. If he hadn't repented, God couldn't have heard his prayer. He couldn't have done anything to help him. If he still had a heart that wanted to rebel and, and exploit other people, so that—that's the first part. So, in the time of trouble, if the so now it's a transitioning to our time of trouble. So, in the time of trouble, if the people of God had con, unconfessed sins. Uh, to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish they would be overwhelmed despair would cut off their faith same thing if we are still relying on self we're still selfish we're trying to to we're looking for ways to angle and exploit and take advantage to get ahead for self we're not trusting god then when the time of trouble comes we're going to be overwhelmed with the we won't have the spirit working in us to bring us that peace and that comfort Overall, the anguish, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would cut them off their faith, and they would uh, not have confidence to plead with God for their deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, so we don't go to God and say, yep, I accepted you back, with time, and I know I'm righteous now. We don't know. It's like, no, I look at my life, Lord, and I know you are so gracious, you are so kind, you are so patient, you're so understanding. I know how weak I am, and I know I only can succeed through your strength. So we have no confidence in our strength, but we have great confidence in him. Uh, they will have... Um, Yes, their sins will have been blotted out by the atoning blood of Christ. Where does sin happen? Hearts and minds and characters, not in books. So he wants to blot sin out of our characters and put his life or his blood in ours. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. and We partake partaken of the divine nature. So that's what it's still talking about. It's not a legal process. It's actually a healing, transforming process. It says, you have a beautiful explanation about the wrestling between the angel and Jacob and what it really means. Could you please talk about it or tell me where to find it? Yeah, you can find that in our little meditation guide. Uh, you can get this and download the PDF or read it online. Or we'll, if you have a U.S. postal address, we'll ship this anywhere you want. So our meditation guide uh, talks about that. Uh, let's see. Um, based on your experience, is bipolar curable? No, it's, it's treatable, treatable, and curable are not. Curable means I give, yeah, I give you a treatment and it's gone. No, it's not gone. It's treatable, treatable. Yes, absolutely. Can people who have bipolar live a normal life? Absolutely, yes. I have many bipolar professionals, doctors, lawyers, judges. Um, in fact, um, bipolar's tend to actually have. Um, most of the time, higher IQ and more creativity than people without bipolar disorder. It's stated, uh, and most people believe, that um, Handel, who wrote Handel's Messiah, wrote the entire thing in a weekend of mania. One weekend. He went in, locked himself in a room, and came out like two days, three days later with the entire, all the parts, everything that you've heard in the orchestra in a manic episode. <laughs> so uh, I, I think there's probably truth in that. If you if you look if you look in uh, just go online on Wikipedia and go famous people with bipolar you will see a whole bunch of really creative people creative people throughout history who had bipolar disorder. Um, so I wonder if they can be cured. Now, now listen to this question. This question actually is is, is actually um, you know, you're, you're listening. I wonder if they can be cured so they won't hurt our feelings when dealing with them.
1: They don't their feelings. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so you can't. Th- th- this is a little misconception about how reality works. Okay, other people actually, uh, we can be hurt by other people. There's no question. People can hurt us. They, they hurt Jesus. They they spit on him. They they punched him. They, it, I'm sure he was hurt when Judas betrayed him. I'm sure that was painful for him. Okay, betrayal hurts. So we can be hurt by people. There's truth in that. Okay, but but the actions are diagnostic of the other person. And so when I, I hope. I, so ask the question: What kind of hurt is this? Is this the hurt because I love them? And I, and, and Jesus' hurt was: uh, I'm losing somebody I love. He's destroying a soul. He won't let me save him. Imagine a parent whose child was like Judas was to Jesus. That would be very hurtful. You're not primarily hurt because how do you do me this way? Okay. We don't we don't look at Jesus on the cross and hear him pray to his father. Father, it's just not fair. All I've done is feed people and heal people and help people and look at how they're treating me. It's just not fair, Father. Now, if he'd actually said those words, that is actually a true statement in his case. It wasn't fair. It was unjust. It was wrong. He didn't deserve it. But if he would have said those things in that way, would we admire him more? (laughs) No, it would reveal his focus is selfish. So he said instead, Father... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It, 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 he didn't enjoy it. You don't find him up there going, this is fun. Can we do it again next weekend? <laughs> was, this was not pleasant. This was the most horrible thing. But his focus isn't self-centered. He recognized reality. These people that were cru- they think they're killing me. They're actually eternally destroying themselves. That's what they're doing. So, I, I, yes, you can be hurt by people. Recognize, though, that uh, the difference between, and I would tell you it can hopefully mitigate some of your hurt if you understand. If you've ever dealt with an Alzheimer's um, family member who is in late stages of Alzheimer's disease, they can say things that are quite ugly. But most of us don't get our feelings hurt by that because we recognize they actually don't really understand even who we are anymore. And we recognize this is brain disease, and that recognition allows us to go... Um, I know my mom or dad or grandma would never speak to me had she didn't have this disease. We recognize it's a symptom of an illness. Okay. I think this is how God sees sinners. They're sick. They're sin sick. And his heart's sad for them. They're dying. And so I encourage you if you have somebody, if, if it's bipolar in a, in a, um, either depression or, or mania, then just recognize, I'm not going to take that personally. That is untreated bipolar. That's a brain illness right now. We need to get that treated. If it's other things like just because, People without bipolar can say things that are hurtful, (laughs) okay? If it's other things, recognize it for what it is, okay? I have been learning what you teach uh, since COVID started, so not very long. I hear people in mainstream churches explain why and how Jesus died, the imperial law way. Uh, I can discern that it is wrong and what Christ's death isn't, but, uh, but through the design law lens, I don't understand why and how. Can you please give me some sources, sermons, and explanations? Yes. I would encourage you to go to this, this, um, month, uh, this quarter's lesson, Hebrews, uh, our Sabbath School lesson, lesson six. Lesson six, we went into great detail why Christ had to die. And listen to that lesson in the notes you can download from our website. So lesson six in Hebrews of, of first quarter of 2022. Is it right as Christians to vote in elections? I am asking because Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. You know, I would tell you, honestly, this is one of those questions that I believe every person must be fully persuaded in their own mind. I don't think, it, I don't think you will have a command that you must vote. I don't think you have a command that thou shalt not vote. I can see people with good conscience in certain circumstances either way. But I would say this to you before you think about voting in elections. Um, if you have a homeowners association, do you vote for the officers in your homeowners association? If you were in school, did you have a class president and did you vote for him? Does it only become a problem when they're actually in official government capacity that then, then it becomes a problem for you to vote? Or do you in a democratic society or democratic circumstance anywhere feel that it is reasonable to vote your conscience in what you believe is the person you would have represent you? So I just leave you with that. I, I don't have a heartburn either way. Uh, it says, Daniel eleven forty one. he will invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered into his hand. That's from NIV. And then I wrote a blog on the king of the north, king of the south, and they quote from the blog, um, um, and this is the last movements, and you know my view, king of the south represents godlessness, evolutionism, um, represented by Egypt, who is God that I should know him? All these forces through history that are Satan's that are godless and reject the idea of God are represented by the king of the south, and they and they alternate through history. Uh, today in our society, this would be communism, evolutionism, humanism. Uh, these are the king of the south forces. Uh, king of the north, represented by both Babylon and Rome. Babylon and Rome both accepted uh, the concept of Daniel's God, Nebuchadnezzar did, and immediately went around using state power to enforce belief in that God. If you, anybody speaks bad about Daniel's God, they, they should be put to death. So it's religious imperialism, Roman law, imperialism to force one's moral mandates on others. And Satan has, both forces are Satan's. The beautiful land are, are the people in the middle, okay? And and both these forcemen battling through nature, to through through history, to try and get the beautiful land onto their side. But either side you choose, you'll be choosing Satan's side, because God's people are neither North king of the north or king of the south. Okay. And what we're seeing in society today is as prophecy unwinds is the last movements, and it's been happening since the Enlightenment. The King of the North was was uh, in ascendancy with the uh, Papal Dark Ages power until the Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment was the King of the South coming with science and evolutionism and godlessness. And we've seen the the the, the pressing in the last five to ten years a real, real strong push of the King of the South. And the last with with all this leftism that we're seeing and the last movements, according to the prophecy, are the king of the north is going to be enraged by this push and storm out against him, which is religious imperialism. And we're about to see if you if you have your eyes open right now, what's happening with all this leftism garbage through covid? uh People who just want to live and, and, and let live, the, the quiet, the, the people who just want to go about their business, who have been intruded upon by all this outrageous leftism, and it's not just the COVID stuff, it's stuff like the transgender movement that allows uh, male to female transgendered individuals to play in female sports, okay? Uh, everybody that might right, want to respect the transgendered individual recognize there's something wrong with that. That is that is that is that is uh, just unfair and outrageous, and, and that and, and so so these types of outrageous pushing of of godless principles from the left is inciting a real sense of outrage on the right, and the point there is to bait the people of God who are in the beautiful land, not either one, to join the King of the North and become part of those practices when this end time religious imperialism sets up. But the question then goes on to ask, what about Edom? Uh, which are the descendants of Esau, Moab and Ammon, who the prophecy says um, uh, are not drawn into these things. And my interpretation of that is that these people were nomadic people. They never joined any of the actual um, state systems. Uh, you can kind of see this in Afghanistan still today. <laughs> these tribal people who never join state systems, and thus they symbolically represent the people who will not join either side. And the prophecy is these people are are, are found innocent and, and will be victorious. Yes.
1: Just to uh, interface with what you're saying, uh, Louis F. Weir. I, don't know if you're
0: there. I have never heard of him. No. A
1: book called The King of Northern Jerusalem. interface well you're saying. Okay. Thank you. Great, agree with uh, you.
0: I. I hadn't heard that. The
1: glorious that. land there in verse 41 is in the context of 1133, the captivity of the Middle Ages. When you have the glorious land back online, it means the captivity is over. That would indicate a post 1844 people of the covenant. And that would be Adventism, who are attacked in verse 41. There's two attacks in day 11, 40 to 45. The first is not the last. But, but then it says, Yin is the glorious land. Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Are, are people groups who were connected by covenant, but not directly. They were indirectly associated. They were on the outskirts of of the promised land. And there are many people who are this close to understanding God's word at this time, but are in the evangelical world, and other places who have open hearts, open lives. They're spared that first attack. The second one, no.
0: Right, and they and many of them will come in. Many of them will hear the message and come in.
1: It's rumors from the east and mm-hmm. the north, literally hearing sayings. It's, yep. It's the third and fourth angel's message that actually brings them into the holy mountain, and thus, then the attack is applied. No,
0: I, I would agree with all that. So that, that. And so that answers the question. for the, Thank you for that. Uh, when there is not a, an appropriate SDA church, is it wrong to go to Sunday church to worship? I would say when there is an appropriate SDA church it's not wrong to go worship on Sunday. You can go worship on Wednesday, you can go worship on Thursday. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not worship me on Sunday. Okay? Um the issue is one of uh desecration of the Sabbath, not uh going uh, I there was a period of time when I had some really good friends in a Methodist church and I went to church every Sabbath. And I went to church every Sunday with my friends. And I had a great time with those people. And I got to witness and share. And I learned. And I loved. And I was loved. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I lead a Bible study group. And we were discussing sorcery. And the sorcerer in Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer. The question was asked, who would be a modern wizard? I said, Harry Potter. My friend said she thinks this is pushing it just too far and it's just that kids are watching uh, like kids watching cartoons like Superman. Your thoughts around kids, adults watching and reading fantasy. So, First off, if we're going to be uh, applicable, Harry Potter would not be like Simon because Harry Potter is a fictional character. Simon was a real character, a real person. So you'd have to find somebody in society today who's practicing divination, uh, palm reading, uh, other forms of sorcery. That would be an analogous to Simon. Harry Potter is a fictional character. Now, when it comes to fiction, the Bible uses fiction. I think Jesus' description of Lazarus and the rich man is a fictional story. I don't think it's a real story. Anybody think it's a real story? It's a fictional story. Uh, In the prophet Micaiah, uh, uh, when Ahab uh, wanted uh, Jehoshaphat to join him in going to war against Ramoth-Gilead, he called for one of the prophets of the Lord and Micaiah came and he told him a fictional story about um, the angels in heaven having meeting with the Lord and saying, how can the Lord said, how can we, how can we deceive uh, of, uh, Ahab into going to his death against Ramoth Gilead? And one said this and another said that and said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, go and do it. This is a fictional story to make a point. God doesn't send his angels to be lying spirits. He's trying to inform Ahab that what he heard through those prophets was a lie. So, fiction, we might want to call it analogies, uh, um, allegories, um, illustrations, uh, can be used. The question here, let's talk about Harry Potter for a moment. All great story, all great fiction, all of it is a retelling of the great controversy between good and evil. You can't find a great story that isn't the retelling. Um, the Narnia stuff, fiction, with magic. Most Christians now, Adventists may or may not like it, but most Christians like that series uh, because it elevates, you know, um, Aslan, the lion, Jesus, over the white witch. Okay. But in the Harry Potter story, my my recommendation is that if you let your kids read this stuff, you need to be age appropriate. They need to have a firm foundation in Scripture, so that if they read this, they can discern the metaphorical applications to the larger Great Controversy realities, and or, if they read it after every section of the book, you sit down as a family and have a discussion about the lessons to be learned, the truths, the errors that are woven in, so they develop discerning skills about how the world's going to try to deceive them. So it can be a useful tool. I will tell you the Harry Potter story, though, it's a great metaphor of the Great Controversy. Do you understand Harry Potter? If you actually have read the books or seen the movies, Harry Potter, as a baby, was attacked by evil and was marked and carried a piece of the evil Voldemort within him through his life. Jesus became a baby and became sin, though he knew no sin. He carried a piece, if you will, of what Adam did with him. Throughout the entire series, Harry Potter is consistently reliable, loyal, self-sacrificing, seeking to help his friends and never betrays them. Puts himself in harm's way, uh, willing to sacrifice. And in the very end, I won't go through all the details because there's so many of the of the biblical narrative stuff that comes around, around, and round. But in the very end, how it end? By Harry Potter dying and rising again to defeat the evil. Okay, this is a classic. A classic metaphor of the great controversy story where Christ uh, takes on him, himself, the condition, uh, sacrifices and is faithful and loyal, eventually dies and rises again to destroy the evil. Okay, And all the great stories have this same theme within them, and you will see it. But it also mixes in a lot of fantasy, a lot of uh, magical thinking, and can be confusing if you don't have opportunity to discuss it with your children to help them differentiate those those elements. When have conversations with somebody who is nearing, uh, when you're having conversations with somebody who's nearing death and you're wanting uh, to give comfort and help them have the full assurance that they are saved and ready to die, what would you say? I, 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 I would say something different in every circumstance because I would have to start with exploring that person's understanding of their circumstance. How aware are they that they're going to die? How open are they to discussions about death? Some people, you cannot have the conversation because it terrorizes them and it only frightens them and upsets them and they get angry and upset and you can't have the conversation. Other people are open and then you can have that. What what is your belief about what happens with die? And then you take it from there and then you can, um, then you can have conversations, but I never tend to correct people, um, who already have peace. Have you accepted, you know, the, I accepted Jesus, and I have peace, and I know when I die, the next thing I'm going to be with my dead husband in heaven. I don't launch into a state of the dead conversation about you're not going to be with your husband in heaven. That would not be encouraging to that person. I let them hold that belief. Okay? But if they're at peace in their hearts with the Lord, I don't. I, you, you know, if you're really talking about at death's door, you don't really... But, but if they're anxious, they're fearful, they don't know, and they're open, then you can actually have a conversation, and you can bring examples up, uh, like the thief on the cross. It's not too late. Jesus still loves you, and he'll come into your heart right now if you accept him. We can pray for you right now. That's something very reasonable to do if they're open for it. So you have to assess each, each case. And then last question. Uh, how can people... Be so unkind and cold to their own family members behind the scenes, but make sure they appear as wonderful angels to the church and public. How can people just turn their unkindness on and off so easily? Well, how can they do it? Uh, the, the, what you've described is diagnostic. Diagnostic. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings forth good, have the good stirred up in him. The evil man brings forth evil, the evil stirred up in him. If you have somebody who's doing this and you have eyes to see and ears to hear, they're revealing to you, I will say it, if this is not an occasion, everybody has a bad day, and they, but then they repent, I'm so sorry, I, I was tired, I was sleep deprived, I didn't mean to be snappy with you. Everybody has a bad day. We're not talking about it. But we're, you've described a pattern, cons- uh, conti- pr- you know, unkind in private and pretends to be good in public. That's diagnostic of an unconverted human being. And so you have, if you love them and they're in your life, when they start, are being unkind to you, you approach that with them and you say things to them like, if they're, uh, since it's family, do you love me? If they're Christians, as you mentioned, they go to church, do you love me? Then why are you speaking to me like this? Is this in, intended for my benefit in some way? I notice that you don't talk like this when we're at church. What's that about? In other words, you become a mirror, and you reflect back in real time the behaviors to let them look in the mirror, and as they get agitated and, be, and, and their volume and, and yeah, it's okay if you need to be angry right now. I know sometimes it's uncomfortable to look in the mirror and see one's own defects. But I love you enough to let you yell at me right now in order to have this conversation with you. And, th- and this is kind of how, how you have to pursue these things. Okay, I lead a Bible study group and we were discussing. No, I, I said I just, no, wait, wait. No, it did, no, no, no. Somebody just said I, I, I skipped a question before this one. No, I didn't. I, I think I got them all. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, I got to answer that one. Answered that nope, I got them all. All right, let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much um, for your love. Thank you for your watch care. Thank you for your mercy. Help us to be effective witnesses for you and to, to really have love in our hearts for other people. We pray in your holy name, amen.